Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is the vodcast I do about four times a year, which is why it's called Quarterly. And this is Hot Topics in CT. And what I do is uh, review some of the things I've recently read or read over the past few months that I thought would be of interest and sometimes don't fit perfectly into talks or... Um, the talks will come up a bit later, so I thought I'd go over them with you, and I picked about five different areas to go through. So let's look at the first one, radiation in issues in CT, which is always very popular. What's new? A common question I get on CT is us, and people do ask me, is do we use business shields at Hopkins? And there was a lot of hoopla regarding business, business shields as a way of reducing dose, and there was a lot of interest. You, you know, it's a shield you put on the front of the patient, but again, remember the x-ray tube goes around the patient, so it may not be as helpful as you think. And also, of course, it may make the patient feel better, so maybe it's good in that regard. But there's some issues with it. It tends to degrade the images. It creates artifact. And there have been several articles addressing this. And there was an article recently by Christine McCullough from Mayo Clinic that says, in conclusion, we believe that the ways in which business shielding can hurt outnumber the ways it can help. Although their use is well-intentioned and we applaud the imaging community's efforts towards safe and effective use of CT imaging, bismuth shields waste radiation dose to the patient and degrade image quality. What can be clearer than that? In conclusion, we believe that the ways in which bismuth shielding can hurt outnumber the ways in which it helps. So that's pretty straightforward, so the answer would be no. And interesting, another article just published on the, um, uh, the Society of Computed Cardiac CT has their new guidelines on radiation dose and dose optimization in cardiovascular CT, and they recommended that breast shields not be used for cardiac CT. Okay, very straightforward. Uh, what else? A couple other things have come up. Uh, in terms of a cardiac CT, in terms of cardiac CT, and let's look at that first. Uh, in cardiac CT, several complications have been addressed in terms of acquiring data correctly. Certain questions have been asked, and one of the areas, interestingly, that people have looked at has been um, calcium scoring, again, looking at some things as well. Also, people have been looking at some of the demographic results, and we knew ourselves that the difference between African Americans and uh, white Americans in terms of calcium scoring has been true in the sense that African Americans, particularly in a city, often have lower calcium scores than one would expect from the amount of disease present. We've scanned many patients. Dr. Lyatt Hopkins has written many articles talking about how often we have Agassiz scores of zero and the patient has significant coronary artery stenosis on CT angiography. And this article by Nance makes the point that atherosclerotic plaque burden and composition as measured by coronary CTA differs between African Americans and white patients with relative relatively more non-calcified disease in African Americans and more calcified disease in white individuals. And the reason this becomes important, again, going back to the, the comment, African Americans and white patients presenting with acute chest pain have similar amounts of total and obstructive plaque. However, white patients have proportionally more calcified plaque, while African Americans have proportionally more non-calcified plaque. The reason that's, of course, important is because if you wanted to use calcium scoring as a screening tool, it may work very well in white patients, but it might underestimate the total plaque burden in African Americans. So uh, if we're going to do calcium scoring as a screening mode in African Americans, it may not be as helpful. And that's a very important point, and that's truly been our experience. 
experience. If you look at a 50-year-old white patient who has a um, Agatha score of zero, I can almost predict in advance, most of the time, the uh, CT is not going to have a critical stenosis. African-American from Baltimore, age 50, Agatha score of zero, it may well indeed have significant disease. So again, very, very important. Now, I mentioned also in terms of dose uh, and in terms of cardiac imaging, this guideline article from the SCCT, which is worthwhile reading. It's a little bit long, but has lots of important information. And I picked a couple points. So retrospective EKG-gated helical CT. Now, we speak about retrospective, which is the classic mode, as opposed to prospective, which we're using more frequently now, or we try to use routinely in every patient. And they made the point that retrospective-gated helical CT may be used in patients who do not qualify for prospective EKG uh, triggered scanning because of irregular heart rhythm or high heart rates. And again, the specific value depends on the scanner characterization. Uh, that means if you have a 64 slice or you have a dual source, uh, the cardiac indication for the CT or both. It's much easier to do a faster scan in a patient with a regular rhythm and get a good chance of getting it right with a very tight window. If you have a 64-slice scanner where it's going to take you 12 to 15 seconds to scan the patient, retrospective with multiple sequence to really get a better chance at getting the study correct is indeed very important. Prospective uh, EKG triggered axial techniques should be used in patients who have stable sinus rhythm and low heart rates, typically around 60 to 65 beats, but specific values, again, will be dependent on the scanner. Of course, we have a dual-source scanner at Hopkins, and uh, Heart rates even in the 80s would routinely doing prospective gating. For prospective EKG-triggered axial uh, techniques, the width of the data acquisition window should be kept at a minimum. Again, you want to like do, if you think 70 works best, maybe go 65, 75. So again, you want to keep it very tight, and that can keep doses in the 1 to 2 millimeter range. Halliburton again goes on to say that prospective EKG-triggered axial techniques should be used in patients with stable rhythm and low heart rates. So again, a key thing here is uh, beta blockers are very important. Beta blockers, even giving 50 milligrams, lowers the heart rate, and steadies the heart rate. So even in dual-source scanning, there's no downside to beta blockers. They're indeed very, very safe. And again, the technique you use, your experience, with more experience, good articles by Jay Earls on the topic, that you can really minimize the width. So again, you want to make sure you get the right study, get it correctly done, get the right interpretation, and minimize the dose. So again, it's a combination. Now, in terms of dose, other things we're noting that you can use a 2 potential of 100 kV in patients weighing 90 kilograms or less, so with a BMI under 30, and a typical tube of 120 kV in larger patients. Now, remember, kV is to the power of 4, and so if you drop the dose from 120 kV to 100, you can substantially decrease the dose of the scans by a 30 to 50% dose reduction. So it indeed is very, very important. Other things in terms of dose reduction was the comment I made before about breast shields and the comment about why it's not recommended. Increase the noise really doesn't impact the dose. There are better ways to impact dose and can cause problems in terms of the image. So it's not recommended to be used, and we, in fact, do not use it. 
Now, there's been several other articles I mentioned about calcium scoring. Let me talk about them. People uh, a couple of years ago wrote articles about calcium scoring and chest pain, suggesting in the ER you get a calcium score and it's zero, you can discharge the patient. Well, a few moments ago I mentioned the fact that in African Americans a zero score is not going to be as helpful. And this article by Vellini's made the point that we feel that the widespread use of calcium scoring in symptomatic patients is severely limited because of test imprecision and the need for additional testing in most patients. Bottom line is chest pain, ER setting, do a cardiac CTA is the way to go. Just doing calcium scoring is not going to do it. Now, another thing that's going to affect uh, uh, calcium scoring as well as coronary artery CT in the coming years, and it's impacting now, is this whole area of iterative reconstruction. Iris is a typical thing from GE. We just got sapphire from Siemens. And what iterative reconstruction does, it's a post-processing technique that basically takes low-quality data and makes it into high-quality data. And when I say low-quality data, I don't mean you scan the patient badly, but what you're doing is you're using a lower KV, lower MA, to use a lower-dose scan, and you improve the quality of the images by post-processing technique. In this article by Renker, iterative reconstruction reduces image noise and blooming artifacts from calcification, leading to improved diagnostic accuracy of coronary CTA in patients with heavily calcified vessels. So they made the point that it can be very helpful in terms of our ability not only to decrease dose, but to interpret the studies. Compared with fastback projection, which is the typical thing we done, and it's not fastback projection, it's filtered back projection, obviously. Iterative image reconstruction significantly improves accuracy, specificity, and positive predictive value of coronary CTA for the evaluation of coronary artery stenosis in patients with heavily uh, calcified vessels. So again, very, very important. And to take that one step further, Ranker mentions the results of our study suggest that accuracy, specificity, and positive predictive value of stenosis detection with coronary CTA in heavily calcified vessels can be incrementally improved with the use of iterative reconstruction instead of filtered back projection. And so again, it's a very, very important concept uh, not only can we improve the dose profile, but we get better quality studies. Again, I think there's going to need to be some more um, articles. I think it's also a little bit machine-specific. Are you using a Siemens reconstruction algorithm, a GE? I think the algorithms are not the same. They're obviously not technically. And so you need to prove it for each different algorithm. But it's something indeed to consider. And I think something that is indeed very, very important and something we're actually looking at very carefully now. Now, I also mentioned a few moments ago this idea about calcium uh, scoring and triage. And uh, there was a good article in the journals talking about this. This was in the JCCT journal. And I mentioned this a few moments ago, but I thought I'd give you a few more points. And uh, we'll look at this, and then we'll close this first session. And there's a point, counterpoint, why to do calcium scoring in the chest pain setting. Well, one point is the percentage of symptomatic patients with detectable atherosclerosis that is purely non-calcified is low, making calcium scoring highly sensitive for the presence of coronary artery disease. That's for it. The absence of cal coronary calcium reliably excludes the presence of obstructive coronary artery disease and acute chest syndrome in symptomatic patients. 
Uh, that was a good thought, but as I told you, particularly in different populations, that's surely not going to be true. And the broad use of calcium scoring in symptomatic patients with low to intermediate pretest risk for obstructive coronary disease will result in decreased need for additional testing and maybe cause savings. So that's the reason why you would say you should do calcium scoring. And in this article, Valinis makes the point that calcium scoring is well established for the detection of subclinical coronary artery disease. That significantly improves cardiovascular risk classification among, among asymptomatic patients. The absence of coronary calcification among both symptomatic and asymptomatic patients significantly reduces the likelihood of obstructive coronary disease and is associated with low rates of cardiovascular events and death. Again, this is true in the white population, not necessarily true in the African-American population, but in any population, again, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship if it was, it'd be so easy, we'd be getting calcium scoring and not doing cardiac CTA or any other studies. And um, the authors then go on, however, we feel the widespread use of calcium scoring in symptomatic patients is severely limited because of test impression and the need for additional testing in most patients. Given recent impressive reductions in radiation dose with the use of modern CTA that are comparable to low radiation doses delivered in calcium scoring combined with the high accuracy compared uh, to other studies, direct detection of stenosis and emerging prognostic and cost-effectiveness data, we feel that CTA is the most effective CT technology for symptomatic patients. So this article nicely does this point, counterpoint, um, Again, making it very clear that calcium scoring has value, and it's a good screening tool in the right population, but if you have a symptomatic patient, it's not enough. Now, in fact, some people ask, do you need to do calcium scoring if you're going to do a CTA? We do, but probably half the people do not. This article also... Um, and other articles make the point that there are non-atherosclerotic causes of coronary disease seen on CTA, and I'll just mention some of them. Again, these are the things that are commonly seen typically when you're only giving IV contrast from anomalous vessels to vasculitis, the rare case of coronary embolism, infection, cardiac tumors, spasm, dissection. These are things that really need IV contrast, and Kim makes the point in his article um, amongst these various causes that radiologists should be aware of the imaging findings of non-atherosclerotic, non-anomalous coronary artery disease that can be identified with cardiac CT to facilitate accurate diagnosis and proper management. And again, I show this article to make the point how important it is to really uh, you know, be able to look with CTA and not do anything else. So I think that indeed is very, very helpful. A uh, very, very important uh, thing to think about. Now, there have been other articles, and I'll, I'll leave you with one last article. This was an article that's in press from European Radiology. It was an economic analysis of the use of coronary calcium scoring as an alternative exam to stress EKG in the diagnosis of coronary artery disease, and they found it to be very useful Adoption of calcium scoring as an alternative to stress testing could be cost-effective. Indeed, it could be. Again, the question is, uh, what about the results? And I think this is something that's an ongoing question. So hopefully I've showed you a number of things that we've discussed, some of the things uh, that I think are very important that are in the literature. We looked a bit at radiation dose. We looked at some of the latest and greatest things in terms of cardiac CT scanning. And why don't we stop there, and we'll come back in a few minutes and look at what else 
we read over the last three months. Thanks very much.